Well, welcome. Good morning. Uh, it is a good place to be. I'm thankful to God for a holiday that reminds us to be thankful. Like there is the list of things for which we should be thankful is extremely long. We are extremely rich and blessed in all kinds of ways, and yet we grumble way more than we should. And so it's good to be reminded uh, to be grateful rather than to grumble. Uh, so glad uh, we have a holiday in our nation that reminds us of that. Uh, but Thanksgiving is over, so we don't, like, giving thanks isn't over, but Thanksgiving, the holiday, now over, which means that Christmas is coming, which means that there are some maybe extra preparations that some of you engage in over the next month or so. Um, that might mean for some of you, it's now time to put Christmas songs on your playlist, how many of you do that prior to Thanksgiving? Like, you're okay. Okay, a few of you do that. Some of you, it's, all right, time to decorate. Uh, and so maybe a tree goes up, uh, maybe lights outside, all kinds of other things, little trinkets that you put out in the house. I know Davey, who, we're not as full today, so Davey is sitting alone in the front row, but Davey is looking forward to every year when the church gets to decorate for Christmas. So pretty soon we're going to have that happening, right, Davey, right? So lots of things to look forward to. We've got, we've got songs, we've got Christmas decorations, uh, some have started shopping. My mother-in-law is here today. This is like a 12-month hobby for her, so she's been at it uh, for a long time already. But grateful for all of these little things that we get to do that help us prepare for a holiday coming later in the month of December that we call Christmas. Some call the four Sundays leading up to Christmas Advent. Okay, so Advent is just a word that simply means coming. It's a time for the church to step back and acknowledge we're about to celebrate something very significant in the incarnation, the coming in the flesh of the Son of God, Jesus, born into this world to live and to die and to be raised from the dead. We anticipate this and we prepare for Christmas, walking through a season we call Advent and using a number of different means to do that. Uh, Advent, like I said, just means coming. We're remembering and preparing to celebrate the first coming of Christ again as we remember and anticipate the second coming of Christ. So, how are we going to prepare for Christmas as a church this year? Here's what our tradition has been. For the last number of years, what we've done in the weeks leading up to Christmas is we have gone back to the portion of the Bible that was written before the birth of Christ. So the Old Testament 39 books in the Old Testament, we go back there and, and, and with the people of God in those times anticipate and long for and look ahead to the coming of the Messiah. It, it, this year, we're going through four different psalms that point us ahead to this. Last week, we went through a psalm to prepare us for Thanksgiving. Now, we turn to four very different kinds of psalms for this little season. We'll get back to walking verse by verse through Luke uh, when we get to January. But for now, we're preparing for Christmas by looking at psalms. And remember, psalms are like the songbook, the worship book of the people of God. Uh, the, the, the things that they would sing and pray when God's people gathered together. We're going to be looking at four different psalms over the coming four weeks, all of them reminding us and helping us to anticipate with great hope that a Messiah is coming. That's what the people were longing for then, and now we can look back and recognize that the Messiah has come. So, 
The Coming Messiah is what we're going to call the sermon series, and that's what we're going to do. We begin today with Psalm chapter 2. Maybe you're familiar with it yourself. Maybe it's one of your favorites. Maybe you're not as familiar with the book of Psalms and you've never even heard or read it before. But regardless, I think you'll get to see today why for centuries God's people have been using this as a psalm that would lead them to hope in the Messiah and to worship the one who is Lord over all. So here's the big idea today. Though many, set, many are set against the Lord, take refuge in the Son whom he has set as king. Though many are set against the Lord, we want to be those who take refuge in the Son whom he has set as king. This is good news to be reminded of. It'll help prepare us for Christmas. And if you're able to, would you stand as we read the very word of God? Let me pray first. Father, uh, we pray because we just we need your help. You have ordained that, that your spirit would inspire um, people even thousands of years ago to write these words, intended to write in a way that exalts you, Lord, that points ahead to the Messiah, Jesus. And so, God, would you, uh, even now today, work by that same Spirit, the same Spirit who inspired these words to be written, the same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, the same Spirit who now dwells in us who are believers. And I pray that by the work of your Spirit, Jesus would be exalted today, that you would be honored and glorified, and that our minds, hearts, and lives would be changed by your Word, molded according to it Uh, which is a work that we desperately need you to do in us collectively and in us individually. So please come and do that work now. Help us to see you more clearly by looking at your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Hear the word of God. Psalm 2 says this, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord, and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Amen. You can be seated. There is in the bulletin a sermon notes page uh, that's useful for you. Go ahead and use it, life group guide there. By the way, if you're not in a life group, want to be in one, we want to get you in one. If your life group doesn't happen to be meeting or you can't be in one, use this life group guide within your own like devotion time. Use it with your family. We want to point everybody ahead to Jesus as we learn to not just hear uh, his word, but apply it as well. So Psalm 2, 
Point number one is this, the view from down here. The view from down here. Here's what we're going to see in verses one to three, that the people are set against the Lord. And when I say set against the Lord, and when I say people, you need to notice in these first three verses that God refers to people in a number of different ways here. People of power, typically. Notice the different ways in verses 1 through 3. He refers to them as the nations, the peoples, the kings, and the rulers. So you get this sense of these are people uh, in positions of influence and power, And what are they doing? Notice what they're doing here in verses 1 through 3. The nations are raging. The peoples are plotting. The the, the rulers and the kings of the earth are taking counsel together and setting themselves up against the Lord and his anointed. When we see in the Old Testament, Lord in all capital letters like that, that's, that's God's covenant name that he has given to himself, shared and revealed to his people, the name Yahweh that we just sang in a song a little bit ago. The capital, all capitals, Lord. And notice there that it also says against the Lord and against his anointed. What's he talking about there? Anointed, now remember, or maybe you didn't know, but the, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. So these Psalms were originally written in a different language, in Hebrew. And in Hebrew, that word right there is the word Messiah. Okay? So we if, we, if we just transliterated this, we didn't translate it. We translated the Hebrew word Messiah to anointed in English. If we just transliterated, just took the word from the original language and made it our own, we would say Messiah. Right? If you take this word and you translate it into Greek, the word is Christos, which we transliterate into Christ. Okay, so, so you could just say that anointed, Messiah, and Christ are all the same word, right? Messiah, Messiah, anointed one, and Christ. So, referring right away here in Psalm 2, verse 2, that there are people who are setting themselves up against the Lord and his Messiah, against his anointed one, the Christ. All right, so you can see why I picked this psalm to be the first one we go through as we prepare for Christmas, looking at these messianic psalms, psalms that point us ahead to Jesus. Now, why are these powerful people setting themselves up against the Lord and against his Christ? Well, it says, verse 3, they're saying to themselves, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. People and nations individuals, groups of people like to believe that they're the ones in control and they're the ones who have power and they don't need any restraints. And verses 1 to 3 show us what it's like down here. It's the view from down here. Throughout centuries, as God's people have gathered together and used this psalm in worship, they could say, well, this sounds like our situation today when it was originally written. The people of Israel could gather together and say, this sounds like our situation today. A bunch of people rising up and setting themselves against our God. For the rest of Old Testament history, really, you could see that. And when we get to the New Testament, it's not all that different. 
there still seem to be rulers and kings and authorities setting themselves up against the Lord and against his Messiah. In fact, if you turned in the New Testament to Acts chapter 4, right after Peter and John have been put in prison, Jesus has died, he's been raised from the dead, he's ascended into heaven, now his disciples are proclaiming the gospel all around Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. And as they do that, they are put in prison. Peter and John put in prison overnight. They're released and told, hey, don't be talking about Jesus anymore. And they say, we can't help it. We're going to keep doing it. And as the people get together and recount what has happened, they actually quote in, in Acts chapter 4, they quote Psalm chapter 2. The beginning, this, this opening part of Psalm 2, acknowledging that what has happened to Jesus the Savior is that there have been people that have plotted together against him and those that have set themselves up against him, and that's why he was executed on a cross. Right? So, so you can see throughout the New Testament, Psalm 2 is going to be used in a variety of different ways, but this is not news. Right? And we could, we could then even kind of zoom into our own day and recognize the view from down here today is very similar as well. These words from verses 1 to 3 applicable across the centuries. That there are people all around us who are set against the Lord and His Messiah. We probably just know a lot more now about what's going on in the world than most people in all of human history have. Most people generally knew what was going on right around them. Now we have probably too much access to know everything, it seems, about what's going on in the world all around us. And we continue to see an active, frantic, and in many ways evil world set against the Lord and against his Messiah. Our news is filled with bad news, right? If you watch the news, read the news, it's typically news of invasions, plots, wars, threats, Hostage situations, mass shootings, corruption, national politics, global corruption, all kinds of other things that we see, and we see ultimately a people that are set up against the Lord and against His anointed. It all looks so powerful and sometimes can be fear-inducing. If all you do is give your eyes and your mind to what's going on in the world around us as reported by news media of various sorts, you could live in a whole lot of fear. Because the view from down here is that nations are raging, peoples are plotting, there are those set against the Lord and against His anointed and against His people, right? So we see this all around us. The view from down here is downright scary. Sometimes it's dark and it's bleak. But Psalm 2 isn't just verses 1 to 3. It continues, and in verses 4 and following, we now get the view from up above. So, so here's the view from down here, raging, plotting, setting against the Lord. But the view from up above, we cannot miss this. Let's look at verses 4 and following. In verses 4 through 6, we're going to see the Lord setting his king. What is, look at, let's, let's hear verse 4 again. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. The stuff that we see on the news causing us to fear is the stuff that God who sits in the heavens over and above it all can look down upon and laugh. As though it's just a bunch of silly plotting together. I've used this illustration before, but I think it's helpful. Illustration from the early 1990s when a cartoon came out 
called Rugrats. You've seen that show Rugrats from back in the day. What happens in Rugrats is it's a world from the perspective of a group of toddlers named Tommy Pickle and uh, Chucky and Angelica and Lil and Phil. So there's these little characters and their parents think they have control over them and they have this little playpen fence there in their living room and they leave the kids to themselves. Well, while the kids are left to themselves, they uh, have all kinds of power. They would counsel together and plot about how they could break free from their little fence that the adults had put around them to keep them contained in the corner of the living room. They believed that they could outsmart their parents and have lots of fun adventures free from the control. Let us burst our bonds apart, right? Free from the control of those who would rule over them as they waddled around in their diapers, right? So it's a funny show because even adults could watch the show and laugh because the writers did a really good job of making you feel like what was happening in the toddler's world was in fact very important. But when you step back and looked at it, knowing the realities, they're just a bunch of toddlers and diapers, they really don't have the kind of power that they think they have. This is the picture that came to my mind when I read Psalm 2, 1 through 3, and then moved on to verse 4. The view from down here is rulers and nations plotting together against the Lord as they seek to break away from his control. And then you get to verse 4, and it's like the God who is in the heavens laughs. Because Hamas and Vladimir Putin and Kim Jong-un and Xi Jinping and all of these people that we look at and are maybe even rightly fearful of, God in the heavens looks down and laughs as though they are little toddlers walking around in diapers. From God's perspective, these men who think that they are powerful are not nearly as powerful as the God who sits in the heavens. And the God who sits in in the heavens is going to declare to the people, this is how far superior my power is to them and their power. So let's continue. Verse 5, it says in verse 4, He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath. So the laughing isn't like God doesn't see evil as a problem. Oh, he sees evil as a problem. And we're going to see that as we move ahead. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I'm grateful that we can continue in this passage and see even this this contrast of people who are setting themselves up against the Lord and against his Messiah contrasted with the Lord who says, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. He has set his king, the anointed one, the Messiah, he has set him up. Two times in Second Samuel 7, as God makes a covenant with King David, he promises that he will establish his throne forever. And the rulers of the world, the nations, the kings of the earth, they can set themselves up against the Lord, but the Lord has set his king on his throne forever. That is the reality. And verses 7 and 9 tell of this decree. So let's go ahead and continue in verses 7 through 9. The king, verse 7, is referred to as the son. The Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. 
Now, initially, this would have been understood to refer to King David and all of the kings that would follow him, seeing themselves in their kingly role as sons of the Lord. But as Scripture unfolds, we see this increasingly pointing out that Jesus is the one who is the king, who is set on the throne, and who is, in fact, the son. So this verse, verse 7 The Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. We're going to see that quoted a number of times in the New Testament as well. You're going to see it in the book of Acts. You're going to see it right away in the book of Hebrews. All of it pointing ahead to Jesus. Jesus, who is the king, who has been set on the throne. Jesus, who is the anointed one, the Messiah. And Jesus, who is the son. The view from above above continues as we look at verses 8 and 9. Ask of me. And I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Those nations who rage and plot and set themselves against God and against his anointed have such little power compared to the power that the Lord gives to his son. He says to his son, I will make the nations your heritage. The the, the nations have been given to the son by the father. So, I mean, you think about conflicts in the world right now. You think about Ukraine and Russia, for that matter, don't belong to Vladimir Putin. They belong ultimately to the son to whom God has given them. And when God desires... He will do what he says in verse 9. Break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. That's another verse that gets quoted multiple times in the New Testament. This time, maybe not surprisingly, in the book of Revelation. So, you kind of get the picture. the, The view from down here, and then the view from up above. And then, really the application of all of it comes in verses 10 through 12. In verses 10 through 12, now what? Well, look at verses 10 through 12. It says this, Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. There's warnings and commands that get us started. That's part of the application. If these things are true, that you have a number of rulers and nations setting themselves against the Lord and against his anointed, yet you have the Lord in the heavens who looks down upon that and laughs at it as silly plotting because his power is far superior. He has set his king on the throne. He has given the nations to his son. Right? We know all of these things now, so what do we do with that? Well, there is a warning and command to those that have those positions of authority. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth, Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. And then an invitation in verse 12. Kiss the son. Kiss the son. That's an interesting way of saying it, but a kiss was a way to pay homage to one who deserved it. It was what was expected in that day, and that's what's referred to here. Kiss the son. And then it says this, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. The warning is simple. Stop standing against the Lord and his anointed. This will not go well for you. It will end in his wrath being poured out and you perishing. Because this is what you deserve if you stand in rebellion against the King of kings and the Lord of lords. 
And so there is warning rightly there, but there's also invitation there. Notice, blessed are all who take refuge in him. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So you have this picture of a, of a king and the Lord who is, has this power over all and will not stand for those who rebel against him, yet they're also invited to take refuge in him. Some application for us from this. First, an application to those of you that are here today and you've, you've been uh, attracted for one reason or, or, or another to just be here and to be with the church on this day. But if you're in here today and you have not yet submitted yourself to Jesus, trusting in Him as Lord and Savior, my, my warning, uh, my invitation to you today is do it. Do it today. The truth is that you are a sinner, all of us. I'm not just pointing fingers. This is true of all of us, sinners before a holy and mighty God. This is who we are. He is just and his wrath is on all who are sinners. If you trust in yourself, you will perish. If you are submitting to any other kind of king, you will perish. And so we hear the warning here. Right To serve the Lord with fear, rejoice with trembling, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. But then this invitation, but his wrath is quickly kindled. How is the wrath of this holy God kindled? Well, it says in John 3.16, some more only son language, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. Right? That this, is, this is a promise, this is an invitation, this is a gift of God given to us. And then that line, I love that line at the end, blessed are all who take refuge in him. One author said this, Derek Kidner in a commentary used this quote and I think it's very helpful. He shares this, when you think about the power of our God, there is no refuge from him, only in him. There is no refuge from him, only in him. Application to those of us who are believers. We need reminders all the time because we forget stuff all the time. And we need the reminder that reminds us of this truth, that we do, and we should not be surprised that we live in a world still today who are standing against Jesus and the Lord. Right? This is the world that we live in. And we must not forget that we who serve and take refuge in Jesus, in the end, we win because in the end, he wins. John 16, Jesus speaking to his disciples just before his crucifixion, he tells them this, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That's why we were singing songs this morning that highlight the greatness of God, that highlight the victory that God has in His Son. We sang, our God is greater, our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. He bore the cross, He beat the grave, let heaven and earth proclaim, right, is what we were just singing, this is our God, King Jesus. The battle we're fighting is a battle he's already won. We, we sang, we know how the story ends. 
we will be with you again. No more fear in life or death. So, so Psalm 2 helps God's people to be reminded that ultimately God is the one in authority, God is the one who has victory, and he does it in and through his son, who he has set up on the throne, and who he has given all things to, and that son then turns to his people and says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded, and behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Because Jesus wins, all of us who are united to Christ in faith, we win too. And so that's why it was interesting as I followed and and saw where Psalm 2 is quoted in the New Testament, I'm going to close with an interesting one. Because most of the time that Psalm 2 is quoted in the New Testament, it's referring to Jesus himself. But in Revelation chapter 2, as Jesus is the one speaking to the church in Thyatira, so he's speaking to believers, and he takes this and applies this to believers. Again, highlighting that those who are united with Christ will be victorious with him. And so, I'm going to quote from Revelation 19 in the benediction later, but listen to the portion of Psalm 2 quoted here in Revelation chapter 2. And I'll just kind of close with this and then go to prayer. Here's what Jesus says to the churches in Revelation 2, 25 to 27. Only hold fast what you have until I come. Think about the world we're living in and hear these words of Jesus. Think about the world that the church of Thyatira was living in. Think about the world that the church, that the church of Christ even now today all around the world is living in. And, and be reminded and hear from Jesus these words. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations And he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. We have no hope apart from being united to Christ by faith. Those of you who are not yet united to Christ by faith, I urge you today, acknowledge your sin before him and turn to Jesus and be saved. And for those of us who have been saved, be reminded of the truth that in the midst of a world set against him and against his anointed, we are united to the one who in the end does win. He is the king who has been set on the hill and he will have final and complete victory. So our hope is in him and in him alone. Let's pray. Father, I thank you uh, for... for um, taking us to a a different spot in Scripture than where we've been for a number of months now. I thank you uh, that your word comes in a variety of different formats. And I thank you that it comes in this way through Hebrew poetry that reminds us that not just now, but all through history, that you, God, have a plan and a purpose, that you, God, have authority and power that far exceeds any authority and power that any earthly power would have. And that in the midst of a world set against you, we can hope in you. Help us to be people who stand in awe. That that you, God, have a fear-crushing power and authority. That, That you give all authority to your Son and we submit ourselves to Him. We're thankful that we can take refuge in Him. 
And God, I pray that you would save people, that you would save people who are rebelling against you, that they would turn and take refuge in you. And I pray that all of us who do trust in you, that you would help us to see the victory that is ours in Jesus, and that we would live with hope in him till he returns or calls us home, help us to stand in the power of Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Go ahead.